0: will you pray with me father what is more majestic and glorious than your name your name is the name that is above every other name the only name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord sovereign Lord of all creation you you possess all things you uh, created all things, but even more, you have redeemed all things. We couldn't be more yours than we are. You have bought us at a price. So let us glorify you with all that we are. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Don't you love that song? Thank you, choir. Thank you. I love that song. Twelve years ago, I suppose, uh, is when that. That song was introduced to me by our choir and it is engraved on my soul. It is part of who I am and I am grateful for those words this morning. I get to meet the most interesting people. It was uh, late last year after a, a funeral in our chapel for one of our great men, one of our great veterans who had fought at Iwo Jima and, uh, and I remember we uh, had Alfred Lord Tennyson's uh, crossing the bar we use that as part of the service and and after that service a friend of mine who wasn't at the service called me and said that a friend of his was at the service and that they would like to have lunch and so we set a date in fact I checked my calendar this week it was November the 19th and we sat down together for lunch and I met this remarkable man who had who had been a veteran who had fought at Iwo Jima, who had fought at the Chosen Reservoir, both at Iwo Jima and Chosen, two of the greatest battles in in modern warfare, and was there and had survived all of that and teaches the Bible every Sunday and always starts his lesson with these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes? And I was just uh, sort of captivated by this conversation and was sad when it came to an end and we were on our way out of the restaurant. I was headed to my car. My friends were headed to my friend's car. And this gentleman, whose name was Joe, turned to me and looked at me and said, I'll see you on the beach. <laughs> now, I knew we weren't going to Galveston or anything. And I understood exactly what he meant. He had informally commissioned me, hadn't he? He was saying, I know you're not a Marine, but I'll include you in the company because what we share in Christ means that we have this in common, a confident expectation in Christ that we will see each other again. As I study the word hope in the Old and New Testaments, did you know that the word hope is used 71 times in the New Testament and fully 70 of them? come after the resurrection. What do we do after Easter? Wendell Berry says we practice resurrection. And how do we do that? Well, let me show you in God's Word. Would you open your Bibles with me to Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Unforgettable, unforgettable words. May God engrave them on our souls today. Let's stand together in honor of our God as we read his word together. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Do you know these words? Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him, Through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thank you. You may be seated. Romans is rarefied air. It is uh, Paul's greatest letter. His great sort of treatise on salvation he starts by saying I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes for a righteousness verse 17 has been revealed and it's a good thing this righteousness has been revealed because there was a wrath that was revealed verse 18 of chapter 1 a wrath that was revealed against sin and then Paul begins to talk about sin and he names names and talks about how we sometimes, when we sin, exchange the glory of the creator of the universe for idols made by human hands. How we exchange truth for a lie. And lest we begin to condemn the sins of others, in chapter 2 he says, and and we also have sinned. But in chapter 3, after he tells us the wages of the sin is death, he says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. And in chapter 4, He shows us Abraham, who was made righteous, not because he did good things, but because he believed God, Genesis chapter 15, and God credited to him as righteousness, chapter 5, therefore, since we have now been justified, made right with God through faith, He says, what do we have out of it? What do we get out of the deal? We get peace with God. We get entrance, access into God's presence by his grace. And he says, we rejoice. We rejoice. We, three times, we rejoice. Not just a typical word for rejoice. As I studied it this week, it's, it's, the, word, it's the word which means we exalt. Eugene Peterson says, we shout loud praises. It's almost a word of boasting. Not in what... Paul has done but in what God has done he he brags on what God has done he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in this glorious hope we rejoice in that not only so he says but we also rejoice in our sufferings and he explains how when we were enemies of God powerless helpless still sinners Christ died for us and he says not only so again but we rejoice in God God is all we need in this world to rejoice he talks about faith hope and love he talks about the father the son and the holy spirit these great triads and he invites us to rejoice in our sufferings and I read that this week and I thought who does that who rejoices in their sufferings we rejoice in our victories but who rejoices in their sufferings well Paul practiced what he preached didn't he When he found himself with Silas in a dungeon, in a prison cell in Philippi, they sang praises to God and it was daybreak at midnight and there was an earthquake, an earth-shattering experience and not only were Paul and Silas set free, but so was the Philippian jailer who had put them in that jail cell. And God received glory because salvation came to that man's house and he and his whole household were baptized that very evening and they washed the wounds that they themselves had inflicted. This is transforming power. Who rejoices in their sufferings? Paul did. Do you? He reminds us in these words that when we suffer in some mystical way, we share in the sufferings of Christ himself. He says to the Colossians, we fulfill the sufferings of Christ. We fill them full in our own lives. The only people who can practice resurrection are those who have also practiced being crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, he said to the Galatians. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. If you want to practice resurrection, let me just say that uh, the only road that leads to the throne room is the, the road that is also a road of thorns. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He knew what it was like to suffering. And what he says to us, and what we cannot forget today, is that when we suffer in this life... Our suffering can never be meaningless because the suffering of our Savior was not meaningless. It was purposeful, and because His suffering mattered, our suffering matters, what He says is God is working. In chapter 8, He'll say God is working all things together for good for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. Is that you? Do you love Him? Are you called according to His purpose? Good news, God is working even In your suffering, he's working. He is working to produce endurance. And through that endurance, he will develop character. And through that character, he will give you hope. And that hope will never let you down. It will never disappoint you. It will never leave you ashamed. Can I show you this in God's word? Just look at verse 3 with me, where he says, We rejoice in our sufferings. And the word for suffering is this Greek word, thlipsis, which means pressure, stress. It's when life sort of puts the squeeze on you. And he says, Life is filled with suffering. We don't have to look around very far to see suffering. I've been thinking this weekend, praying for the people in West Virginia. We prayed for a miracle for those minors to live. And we did not receive that news, did we? This world is filled with suffering. Think about the people in Poland who lost their president and 95 others on that plane that crashed in Russia. Have you read the news this weekend? You can't, you can't go to a Christian church outside the United States, by the way, without hearing about what's going on in the world. About, without them praying for people all over the world, may we join them in that we live in a world that is suffering. But I read this week in Houston that somebody, some arsonist, thought the best thing he or she could do with their time was to burn down a church in our city. And then I thought about my friend Drayton McLean, whose uh, church, his home church where he teaches Sunday school, First Baptist Church of Temple, Texas, Melanie's hometown. Somebody burned down that church. I mean, Drayton's having a bad year. If you look at the record of the Astros, it's just, he's my friend. It's not going well right now. And when we think about the suffering in our world, we realize it's pervasive. 500,000 martyrs will die this year because they name the name of Jesus Christ. Fully 67% of all the people who have ever died for the cause of Christ have died since the year 1900. That's the world we live in. A world where there is suffering. And I'm, I'm telling you, right? Because I look across this congregation and I see people who have endured enormous pressure in your life. Life has put the squeeze on you from time to time. And what you've discovered is what I've discovered. I wouldn't trade the two or three worst days of my life for all the other days of my life. Because it was on those days That I most powerfully felt the presence of God. It was on those days I learned the lessons. It was on those days that I was in pain. That God did not waste that pain. But he used it in powerful ways to give what? To give, Paul says in verse 3, endurance. This suffering works endurance. That word means to stay under the pressure. (laughs) I don't know about you, but when I feel pressure, I want to go away. I don't want to stay under. But the word hupomeno means to stay under the pressure. And as we stay under, God is working, developing. I read this week about one of our nuclear submarines back in the early 60s. Did you hear about this? The Thresher, it was called. It sounds powerful, doesn't it? It had these great iron bulkheads, great iron covering. It, It was the most powerful submarine ever built. But Unfortunately, one day it lost power and it couldn't rise to the surface, so it sank to the bottom of the ocean with all 129 crew members. They sent down a diving bell to find it. They found it all right, 8,400 feet below the surface, a mile and a half down, where the pressure per square inch is 3,600 pounds. Did you know the great submarine, the thresher, was crushed like an eggshell at the bottom of the ocean? The divers were not surprised to discover that. What they were surprised to discover is that there were fish swimming around down there. How is it that a nuclear submarine is crushed like an eggshell, but a fish with skin a fraction of an inch thick just swims around? Scientists tell us they're able to withstand that pressure from the outside because the pressure on the inside is equal to it. Isn't this the gospel? Life is filled with pressure. But John wrote to those disciples early, <laughs> early in the history of Christianity when they were facing great persecution. He said, greater is he who is in you, 1 John 4, 4, than he who is in the world. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, don't be surprised when you find trouble in this world had trouble since the day I was born nobody knows the trouble I've seen Jesus predicted that he said they've given me trouble they'll give you trouble but don't be afraid he said be at peace why because I have overcome the world the one who is in you is greater than any pressure you will ever face and God is developing this endurance in you this world is filled with problems Augustine said but through those problems we see God what does he say? Not only this. He says it twice. Not only this. Not only this. We get God. And if God is for us, who can be against us? God is greater still. He produces endurance, but that doesn't stop there. Once God begins to produce endurance in us, then He, he works character out of that. Maybe your translation says experience. Um, I love what e- Eugene Peterson says, the tempered steel of virtue. It gives us the picture of uh, the coal that is transformed into a diamond. I read about that this week. You know, the same material that makes coal also makes diamonds, dead plant material. The difference is that the coal is, is only bonded horizontally, like a, a stack of paper that's bonded tightly horizontally. You can't you have to tear the paper to separate the molecules, but but if there were a stack of it you could push it over easily because it's not bond. That's the way coal is. But when you put that coal under enormous heat, an enormous pressure, something begins to change molecularly. This doesn't happen, by the way, in nature, but it can be done. And what happens is the transformation is the heat is so great that it melts those horizontal bonds and then the pressure is so great that it rebonds in sort of pyramid forms that give us one of the hardest surfaces, one of the most precious objects in our world. And and the truth is that God is refining us by fire, And by pressure, and He is transforming us and changing us. And the flame will not hurt you. God only designs your dross to consume, your gold to refine. And as God transforms us, we become transforming agents in His world. So that N.T. Wright, in his book on heaven and hope and resurrection, says the good news is that when you and I do something now... When we sing or we pray or we dig wells or we care for the poor, when we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, when we put the gospel into action now, God translates that into His future as He's creating a new heaven and a new earth. This is the promise of God. Not just that we'll have God someday, but that we have Him. What does He say in verse 11? now and to have God now is enough for us my friend Calvin Miller says I have to have a few things to live I have to have God I'd really like to have my wife he said and beyond that everything's negotiable I have to have God the God who's producing endurance that's producing character and out of that character he gives us hope do you hear this Christians don't rejoice in spite of our sufferings We rejoice because of our sufferings, because through those sufferings, God's giving us endurance, He's giving us character, He's giving us hope. That word means confident expectation. It means that hope will not disappoint us. It's not just a possibility or a probability, it's a certainty. You can take it to the bank. You can write checks on it, because when you count on it, it will be there. Paul says to the Colossians, this hope is stored up for you in heaven when you need it it will be there do you have that confident expectation that paul wrote about that made him sing praises to god at midnight from the prison cell it is it is this trust in god this overriding trust that he will not disappoint us that he will not let us down that he will never let us be put to shame in fact those who are put to shame will be those who don't trust in God, who don't hope in Him. It's Pascal's wager. Pascal who said, let's say I believe in God and He's not really there. I've lost nothing. But if you don't believe in God and He really is there, you lose everything. What does the bumper sticker say? Um, If you're living like there is no God, you better be right. Because if there is a God, and there is, Paul says, then we place our confidence in him and we live for him and that makes all the difference. Paul was writing this to a hopeless world. There's a tombstone that I saw from the first century. It represents the stoicism, the sort of strongest philosophy of that day and it simply said, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. That's the world into which Paul said, Christ rose from the dead and if he rose, if the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then you too will live. It is this confidence which God gives us so that in a world like Kurt Vonnegut's world where he wrote Cats in the Cradle and said, what can a rational human being expect after centuries and millennia? What can we really expect from this world? And Vonnegut answers it with one word on the next page. Nothing, he said. We can expect nothing It's not just Paul's first century world, not just the 20th century world, but the 21st century world has lost hope, and Paul's message is incredibly relevant. We have hope because we have Christ, and Christ in us is the hope of glory, glorious hope for the future, glorious, victorious hope for the present so we can trust Him. It means you and I can begin to make a difference in this world. Eugene Lang found this out. He, he was asked to speak to a group of sixth graders in the inner city. He had prepared a long speech, but when he looked at them and realized these kids in this inner city area are never going to go to college, he said, I'm going to do something. He stood up, laid his notes aside, and said, "Let me. here's my speech. If you will finish high school, I will pay for you to go to college. And in that group of students, 90% graduated from high school far beyond the expectations far beyond their peers why because they had hope you see what a difference hope makes hope changes everything it changes everything now they asked one of those students why did you graduate from high school he said because finally I had a reason to And I'm telling you the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reason to live. It's a reason to trust. It's a reason to hope. And we put this this resurrection into practice so that we understand, like my friend Joe, that we don't really say goodbye. (laughs) I heard this week, just this week, that um, Sheldon Van Auken, who wrote A Severe Mercy, was a student of C.S. Lewis. Maybe you knew that. I didn't know that. And as he... um, tells the about the last time he saw CS Lewis they were sitting at that pub maybe you've eaten at that pub where CS Lewis uh, would eat with his friends and they were sitting there and as they left and he saw his mentor for the last time he said CS Lewis looked at him and said I'm not going to say goodbye the way he, I shan't say goodbye we'll meet again he said and he walked across the street and then he turned around as Sheldon Van Auken was watching his mentor walked away. C.S. Lewis turned around and shouted across the street, across the traffic, because, he said, because we Christians never say goodbye. It was November 19th when I ate with my new friend Joe. Less than a month later, on December the 18th, I received an email from our mutual friend Dale. He said, Joe went home to be with the Lord this morning. And I thought, no, I knew. I'll see him on the beach. Rejoice in glorious hope. Your Lord and judge will come and take his people up to our eternal home. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say. Rejoice. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your great presence and power in this place. God, transform us, change us by the renewing of our minds. Change the way we think so that we can change the way we live, so that we can change the world in which we live. God, we trust You because You are our eternal hope. We pray in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen.